I have heard plenty and plenty of people who told me that my niche was too small and that I would never make it. And for me, it was a huge, you know, well, that's too bad. Watch me go. (laughs) Seth Godin wrote a blog post sometime over the last year that was basically that no niche is too small. If there's a niche out there and nobody is serving it, if you're that expert that serves it, you're you're made. As long as you have a niche and people who don't have a niche are the ones who tend to flounder. So for me, my, you know, 6,000 Facebook fans and 5,000 people on my mailing list or whatever. Um, so a lot of big businesses, that's ridiculous like they look at it and go that's nothing and that's not plausible and for me I'm going you know I support my family full-time I do this full-time and it's working just fine for me so I don't see how it couldn't work for anyone else as long as you you know hustle and work hard and you really focus on that niche there's no reason why it shouldn't work that's my guest, Kenna Coate, talking about some of the external resistance she faced when she chose a niche that, from the outside, seemed absolutely microscopic. Kenna actually teaches people who make handmade soap how to do a better job of running their business. And I was just so excited to interview Kenna because she is absolutely killing it in a just this tiny, weird niche. Her business is expanding, and she's really in a leadership position in her niche. I've said this before, one of the keys to getting traction as a consultant or a freelancer or an agency owner is choosing a market, really a market segment, that is small enough that you can be a big fish in a small pond. Sure, there are other ways you can become successful, but uh, when you go small with your focus, what that actually does is it takes the fixed amount of marketing effort that you're able to put into your business and just makes it pay off better. It gives you leverage. It helps you become a leader in your market segment more quickly. I heard about Kenna through my friend Travis Northcutt. He said one day, you've got to check out this example of a seemingly tiny niche. As soon as I saw her website, I was hooked. I had to talk to her. And I had the same questions you probably do. I was curious how she validated her niche, how she accesses that particular market, and whether she faced any fear about going so small and narrow in her focus. In the interview, she answers all these questions and some others that I haven't mentioned here. I'm Philip Morgan. This is the Consulting Pipeline podcast, where we talk about building your consulting pipeline through positioning, education-based content marketing, and marketing automation. Enjoy the interview with Kenna. So Kenna, who are you and what do you do? So obviously my name is Kenna and what I do is I help soap makers who make their own bath and body products and I help them either make them the best they possibly can or I help them sell them. So, you know, it's pretty simplified when you talk about it like that, but soap making a lot of people go, gosh, I didn't know you could even make your own soap. So. <laughs> right. And if you go into, uh, well, I, I don't know. If you go into nicer supermarkets, I know for sure you'll see things like handmade soap in, in the health and beauty section, right? Is that where would people come across handmade soap in their in their life maybe that they don't know about? 
Um, it's getting really popular in like farmers markets. A lot of farmers markets across the United States have soap makers to then knit them. Okay. And then, like you said, Whole Foods and those big kind of natural grocery stores, right. and natural grocers and that kind of stuff. A lot of them have started to carry handmade soap. Um, one brand that a lot of people are really familiar with that is a handmade product is Indigo Wild Gum Soap. Um, it's made in Kansas City and they are globally distributed and it's a huge, huge company, but they still make the product by hand and they do the same thing that all of my clients do. Okay. So I'm going to, uh, break the fourth wall here for a second and, uh, <laughs> and speak to those people in my audience who are like, why is Philip talking to someone who makes soap? And it's re- it's because I think you have a fascinating story about, understanding a market well enough to understand the size and have the courage to move into a market that might seem from the outside to be super duper tiny. And, and on top of that, when I was looking at your site, which is modernsoapmaking.com, I was looking at the about page and you have this uh, sort of explainer video there. And it just struck me how in some ways that's so similar to programming <laughs> and developing software because there's this art and science combination Art and science combined, that is my favorite part about it. And um, I don't, I didn't mention this before, but I have freelance um, web development before I taught myself PhD oh. 10 years ago. And um, I find a lot of similarities in between those two things because it is kind of creating something out of nothing mm-hmm. and getting it to work in a certain way. And there's a certain science to it. Like you can't just throw a bunch of code on a page not going to work and so making it the same way but yeah it's totally weird and everyone listening is probably like gosh who cares about soap making <laughs> well it's interesting because i i think that you you have a what seems to be a very clear focus you are not uh, you know if you go to modernsoapmaking.com it's immediately obvious who you're there to help which is other people who make soap right who make uh, handmade soap or in, in fact, let me just phrase that as a question. How do you define your focus? Who are you there to help? And how do you do so differently than others who, who might be in the same business? So um, with soap making as a whole, there are a lot of websites out there that will give you tutorials or recipes or whatever in order for you to start DIYing and making your own product. And where I try to really focus on is um, getting soap makers because they're like all makers, they focus more on the craft than they do on the business. I tell them, you know, you need to take off the soap maker hat and wear the business hat. So I focus a lot on, you know, the business of selling a product and how to brand yourself and position yourself and to make the sale and how to market properly to your audience and all of that kind of stuff. So when I started modern soap making, like I said, there's lots and lots of websites out there for DIY soap making kind of stuff. And for me, it was setting it apart by saying, okay, you can make awesome soap and I'll help you do that. But what's better is being able to sell that and make money back from it and start a business. And maybe that'll become a legacy for you and your family, or maybe it'll just pay for your supplies. Who knows? Whatever you want to do, I can help you do that. How, you know, how did you get started in business in the first place? So um, I'm kind of, I would say a serial entrepreneur without, you know, 
having a bunch of exits where I've made a lot of money. It was um, all the things that I've done in the past. I kind of got bored uh-huh. doing them. And okay. was like, oh, I got to find something else to do. Um, scout making has been a hobby for me for almost 11 years now. It's been about 10 and a half, 11 years. And at first I was just making it for myself and for gifts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I was pregnant with my second daughter, I realized, you know, childcare is going to be more expensive than it would be for me to work outside the home. So I started yet another entrepreneurial, like, let's go do this, and started to sell my product. Um, From there, I had a lot of experience in service-based businesses, which some of that applies to product-based businesses, and a lot of it doesn't. Right. And there wasn't any resources out there that could help me. Um, There's people out there talking about marketing or branding or whatever, but none of it was tailored to what I was doing. And in 2012, about a year and a half after I started my business, I decided to start a conference for soap makers in the Midwest because we didn't have something like that. I wanted to get other soap makers together where we could learn from each other and to grow together. And that event is kind of what was a launching pad for what I do now. It taught me that that's where I belong in our little tiny industry, that it would be perfect for me to go, okay, there's no one else really focusing on this. And I've learned a lot running my business, so why don't I focus on that? You said there wasn't any, I don't know, like marketing information tailored to the soap making business, right? Uh-huh. What, what's the difference from the perspective of someone who wants to learn about marketing and who is a soap maker? Uh, why can't they, I'm playing a devil's advocate here. Why can't they just pick up, <laughs> uh, you know, like a marketing textbook, learn these concepts and then apply it? What, what makes um, it better if, if it's tailored to them? It's a lot easier for a soap maker to say, okay, you're going to talk about, how I should package my product or how I should talk about it on social media or how I should write email newsletters to my customers. And when you go read generalized kind of marketing advice, Uh a lot of that stuff is out there for service-based businesses. And the consumers for a product-based business, first of all, look at products differently. They're buying for different benefits and values and reasons than a service-based business is. But it's also um, different to make that sale. The customer in a service-based business is receiving a service versus a tangible product that like goes away and you've got to continue to market to them to buy it again right. or to continue to use your product and what makes it different. And the other thing is, is like we said, soap making is kind of such a small little niche in the world of business that most people go, so, oh, that's Dove or, oh, that's Dial. And a huge part of marketing to the right customers is finding ones who know the kind of products that you're making and that it's different than Dove or Dial. So a lot of that generalized marketing advice um, works, but you kind of have to twist it and turn it to make it work for that niche in business. And what I was finding was a lot of other soap makers weren't making that connection. They were trying things for their businesses that was totally the wrong kind of advice because mm-hmm. it was generalized. Or they were looking at it going like, 
this doesn't make any sense and it's not working for me. And it's like, well, it's not working because it's out there as general advice or it's advice for a consultant or a business coach or a chef or whatever, like right. service instead of a product. So yeah, it's, um, it's just a whole different animal and being able to really say, you know, this person understands exactly what I'm doing instead of this person knows a lot about marketing, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Okay. So there was a kind of uh, feeling of like this person can empathize with me completely because they're, they're really in the same line of business. I am the same weird uh, niche. Yeah. Okay. The other question I had was, 2012 started a conference in an area that had no conferences. Did you, were you really confident that that was going to succeed and be a success or was it more of an experiment? Um, for me, it was really just about like selfish, like wanting to meet other soap makers. Okay. So it wasn't a business move at the time. It wasn't like, I want to make money off of this or, I want to get known for this or anything. It was wanting to just meet other people who was doing what I was, was doing at the time. And that first year we had 40 something people come and we had people come from like Colorado and Montana and places where I was like, why are you coming all this way? <laughs> and it became an annual event this year. We had our last one here in March. Um, and I just, it was such a big thing. It grew into such a beast that I was spending four or five months every year focused entirely on this conference. And now that my business has changed and what I'm doing, I was just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And there's a lot of other soap makers who saw what I did and it kind of fueled the fire under them and they started their own regional gathering. So that was also cool. Side effect. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. So it was not something where you said, I know for, you know, for completely for sure that, that this is just going to have hundreds of people. It was a little more of scratching your own itch, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. <laughs> cool. Okay, so we're in 2012. What happened next in your, in your progress towards where you are today? So um, a lot of filmmakers that I knew online through Facebook groups and forums and those kind of communication points um, were asking, you know, how did this conference go? And everyone who has been talking about it online is saying it's so awesome and they were sad they missed out on the experience. So I wrote an ebook about the talk that I gave at the conference. Um, it was actually about like a production process in soap making, how to make soap more efficiently. So you could reduce your cost. Ah. And um, I wrote an ebook about it and I put it on my soap making website where I sold myself and it sold hundreds of copies within the first six months. So from wow. there, I was kind of like, oh, well, you know, there's definitely a need for this kind of information where it ties soap making and business together. Like I'm not the only one going, we need this in our industry. But it also kind of opened my eyes to I could make money doing this as well. Like I don't have to just sell the product if that's not what I'm happy doing. Right. So fast forward um, a year and a half later and there modern soap making came. It debuted in February of 2014. I started working on the website in the fall of 2013 and you know, 
here we are. <laughs> that is amazing. So what gave you the confidence to to know that you could invest time, money, resources into building a site to help uh, people? Is it, it's really, I mean, it's more than just information, right? You also provide mentoring and what else do you do for people? And then how, what gave you, you know, the confidence to feel like, yes, this, this definitely could work. So um, it started off with eBooks. Um, with the eBooks, I focused on things that were directly about soap making, like that first one where it was this certain production process that made people more efficient so right. they could make more money. Um, and from there, I noticed a lot of people would ask me business questions and I wrote some business articles and, um, you know, having a lot of experience as an entrepreneur, regardless of what industry it was in and having a lot of different backgrounds, you know, in photography and branding and web development and all that kind of stuff. But I realized, you know, people need help with all of these things. So, um, I started off with ebooks and moved to offering mentoring. Um, my first mentoring session was before I even offered it with somebody who emailed me and was like, can I pay you for an hour of your time? And I'm going, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, and then after that, I got into like online courses. So a lot of the business topics that I teach and work on, I build entire online courses that are tailored to soap makers. So there's a product photography course and it talks about specifically how to take really good photos of soap itself instead of this is just a photography course. Um, I did another course about blogging. Same thing. <laughs> so um, it was, you know, starting at the ebook that kind of unraveled into mentoring and then courses and I have my email newsletter. And for me, what really gave me that courage to keep following this as it unraveled was just the number of people who reached out and said, that first ebook is that I wrote about production efficiencies and how to work on scaling your business from that perspective. So many people emailed me and said, this changed our business. This changed our lives. We've reclaimed some of our time back. We're being able to focus on marketing or going to events or doing this or doing that instead of making soap all the time. And every time I got feedback like that, it was like, I'm on the right path. I'm going the right way. (laughs) Wow. That's awesome. I'm looking at your site at the bottom. Um, There's some, some follower accounts and this is not, um, I just, I want to give some context to listeners because uh, I help people with their positioning. And one of the questions I get over and over is, how do I know, you know, what's a big enough niche to support my business? And, you know, most of my clients are either solo or very small businesses. Mm-hmm. So you have right at the, as of this recording, 6,854 Facebook fans, uh, 1,061 Twitter followers, 842 likes on Instagram. 4,071 YouTube subscribers, 2011 G plus followers, which is more uh, Google's fault for (laughs) building a crappy social network (laughs) than anything else. (laughs) And, and so this is just a snapshot. These numbers really don't mean a, a ton other than that you've, you've done your marketing homework and you've been at this a while, but you know, for people who are, I guess, concerned about finding a big enough audience, 
what would you tell them and, and what's been your experience with, with audience size? So it's really interesting because when I launched Modern Soap Making last year, I actually had um, a couple of people in the industry who either were just soap makers or they taught soap making, not necessarily like anything related to the business, but just how to make the product itself or, you know, people outside of the industry, um, friends, family, who were like, you know, this myth is way too small and you are never going to make it like oh, wow. money on the side but this is not going to work as a business to support you uh, and for me that was a huge kind of fuel under my rear <laughs> right. um i've always been the kind of person that if you tell me i can't do something i'm going to prove you wrong and i probably will do it to my own detriment at times <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was definitely one of those things where I was like, oh, you know what? Well, let me show you otherwise. And one thing that really kind of pushed me to continue was um, Seth Godin wrote a blog post sometime over the last year that was basically that no niche is too small. If there's a niche out there and nobody is serving it, if you're that expert that serves it, you're, you're made as long as you have a niche. And people who don't have a niche are the ones who tend to flounder. So for me, my, you know, 6,000 Facebook fans and 5,000 people on my mailing list or whatever. Um, so a lot of big businesses, that's ridiculous. Like they look at it and go, that's nothing. Right. And that's not plausible. And for me, I'm going, you know, I support my family full time. I do this full time. And it's working just fine for me. So I don't see how it couldn't work for anyone else. As long as you, you know, hustle and work hard and you really focus on that niche, there's no reason why it shouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, before I hit the record button, you, you mentioned that this has been so successful that it sucked up your husband out of his full-time yeah. <laughs> employment and and now he's working for this, for your business, right? Yeah. Yeah. So my husband, um, quit his, he went from full-time to part-time at his job, um, in May of last year and monitor he launched in February of last year. So just three months after I launched, he went from full-time to part-time because right. I could not possibly get enough work done and answer all the email and, write all the content for my blog and work on new ebooks and all that kind of stuff with taking care of our three kids and him working full time. So he went part time just three months after I launched. And then just last month he quit his full his part time job completely. And now he's working for me, helping with like email support and that kind of stuff. So nice. um I think it's very possible that you know, eventually we might have to hire help or he'll also be full-time in it because at a year and three months later, I've already technically got an employee. <laughs> right. So, so people who have never heard of you who are making soap and need the kind of help you offer, how do they find you? So if you visit Modern Soap Making, you'll notice that the content on the blog is about half soap making tutorials and recipes and those kind of things. And the rest of it is business advice. 
And the reason why I write all of the soap making tutorials and recipes is because that's how my clients find me. Ah, um, okay. Makers in general, um, whether they make soap or they make jewelry or they design t-shirts or whatever it is that they do, um, are so heart-centered on their products that they always want to be the best at what they do and what they make. So they're always learning. And when I started modern soap making, I knew that from being a soap maker, but it was really hard to always kind of focus on the business instead of making better soap all the time. So I knew if I wrote about that kind of stuff, it would draw those people in and it has worked amazing. It just kind of exploded. (laughs) So Um, it's like organic search traffic that they end up on your list or what's, what's kind of the funnel um, they go through? It is about 30% organic search traffic through Google or uh-huh. other search engines. And then about 30% is referral traffic from people sharing links to certain blog, art, blog articles on forums or Facebook groups or on Twitter or wherever, um, where it's definitely a referral. And then the remainder of it tends to be people featuring a tutorial where it's still a referral topic, but it's someone like Crafty Gossip. Um, it's like it's this big hub for DIY tutorials, mm-hmm. picking up one of my tutorials and sharing that. So I'm always kind of out there reaching new audiences and then the industry um, events and organizations and that kind of stuff. I get really involved into those so okay. I can also reach more people. Okay, do you give talks and that kind of thing? Yes. (laughs) Um, So the conference that I hosted in March every year was clearly the first time that I spoke at anything. And that avalanche into I've spoken at the largest trade organization conference for our industry, which draws about 600 people. Um, And it's also annual. I spoke at that one last year. And I speak at a lot of smaller regional ones. And um, I've even had soap makers from other states work together to bring me there to speak to a small group that works together. Locally. Oh, wow. So, so yeah. That's great. <laughs> Lots of speaking. I love traveling. So, it works out. So, two or three years ago in 2012, did you, did you see this in your mind's eye? Did you say, you better believe I'm going to be talking at conferences and being invited to speak and, you know, have have this audience who who values what I do or did it kind of happen more organically? Um, it was a little of both. Like I knew I was definitely on to something and I knew that was enough time that a lot of people would be affected by the work that I did. I had right. no idea whatsoever that it would grow at the pace that it did or you know, explode the way it did. You know, have husband go from full-time to part-time three months later after launching is, is just crazy. I didn't expect that. Oh, wow. It was that fast. So it took, uh, my next question was going to be, when did you say, yes, I can tell this is working. I feel the traction. I, I know I have something here. It was right after I launched um, in February of last year. Okay. I was working part time for somebody else and was yeah. like, uh, I just made a thousand dollars doing this and I just launched it. So I'm gonna focus on that instead nice. working. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so yeah, it was as soon as it launched 
and it started going well, and I had a lot of really good feedback and just watching the numbers slide. So that's fun. It's been all in. <laughs> Fantastic. So was there any point when you said, oh, no, I've, I've made a horrible mistake? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's been plenty of those times. And I think every business owner has those times. Uh-huh. Um, for me specifically with the niche that I've carved out, um, again, it's super small in comparison to what most people are kind of looking at. Um, for me, there's been a couple of times where it's like I've changed my business model or I've offered a new product and it didn't go off really well right away. And it's like I wasted all this time on this one thing and my audience just doesn't like it. And it's not like when you have a bigger audience where if 20% of the people don't like it, it's no big deal. When you have a very small audience, if a good chunk of them don't like it, then it's a big deal. <laughs> right. So it, um, it was definitely a learning curve to make sure to keep like my finger on the pulse of what my audience really, really wants and to really narrow in and focus on what my audience wants and what my clients need versus kind of going, oh, I think this will work. How do you, how do you <laughs> find that out? How do you, you know, get that in, that reliable feedback about what they really want and really will pay money for? The big thing for me is um, at first I kind of relied on where I had been because my clients are where I have been. So that was okay. It did me okay um, in terms of, you know, I kind of have an idea of what's going on. But um, as I mentioned, a lot of filmmakers have like Facebook groups and forums and Yahoo groups and all kinds of little tiny areas on the web where they congregate and talk together. And a lot of them share so much about their business or what they struggle with. So being involved and active in those communities has been the lifeline of knowing like what kind of content to create or what topics to focus on or where people are struggling. Right. Um, you know, you could go on forever about where to find them. I, the question and answer websites like ask.com, people like ask questions on there about filmmaking and I'll find those and I'll answer it in a blog post or someone posts a comment on a forum about, you know, I'm having a hard time with branding and huge thread about what branding is or isn't. And I go, okay, this is like, a big topic and I can cover this and I can help people with that. So. Okay. Wow. <laughs> this is a goldmine of great, of great <laughs> stuff for anybody in business who, who wants to reach a specific audience or, or wants to focus their business. So I want in the last few minutes of our, our chat to boil it down or to, to ask you to boil it down. No pun intended. Right. Cause you, isn't heat involved yeah. <laughs> in making soap. Anyway. Um, so, a couple of closing questions. You have seen the benefit of uh, going, it sounds like you would call it a benefit of going after a focused audience. You have a growing business. You, you know, have the occasional fear jump up and, and get in your face. But overall, it seems to me like a resounding success. So you've learned something and you, you're now helping people. And you mentioned uh, it, when we were emailing earlier that you help people with positioning. So what have you learned about positioning that you you try to instill in your the folks you're mentoring? 
Um, like I said, for me, the big thing was remembering that if you don't have a niche, you're going to be kind of floundering in like the open sea of all of these businesses who offer very specific things to very specific people or very specific lifestyles. And if you're just kind of throwing your product out there, whether it's, you know, a service you offer or a specific physical product, you're just kind of throwing it out there hoping someone's going to hear it and be like, gosh, that's right for me, instead of focusing on a very small niche where you can really see what that person wants and what's going on in their lives or what they are struggling with or what needs they have. Being able to be that answer is so incredibly gratifying for a business that I don't know why you wouldn't. I really don't. <laughs> yeah. So for my clients, um, like I said in emails before, I this is something I work with with soap makers because a lot of soap makers kind of make the product for the love of making their products and then take it to a farmer's market or a retailer and go, you know, buy my stuff. And it's like you have to actually give them a reason and position yourself in a way that's like my product is perfect for this person. Uh-huh. And then find where those people are and go there and sell to those people instead of destroying yourself out there and being like, I hope someone likes it. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, I think that's definitely something any any business can really learn from. If you don't have a focus, get a focus. <laughs> okay. So someone, uh, so you, so you, you cover that idea, you, you impart that idea, and then someone says, great. I want to have triple the number of clients and triple the security. So I'm going to have three focuses. I'm not only going to, to use yourself as an example, I'm not only going to help people with the business end of things, I'm going to help them make the best uh, soap, the highest quality, most artfully, beautifully made soap. What do you say to that? I think that if you focus yourself in a way where you're serving the same people, um, for instance, with me, no matter if you're coming to my website because you want to learn how to make better soap or you're coming for the business advice, chances are that's the same person. Um, so as long as you have a tie together where you're not alienating part of your audience by serving both, then I think that you still have a strong enough focus that you're not going to turn people away or turn people off from what you're doing. Um, if I just wrote about business and didn't write about soap making, um, I think a lot of soap makers would probably go, does she really have that expertise or knowledge or follow through? So that kind of works hand in hand to give me that integrity and authority to speak on the topic of, you know, I can help you sell your product as well. Does that make sense? <laughs> it, do, it does to me. And I think, I think it will to, to people listening. Kenna, this has just I been <laughs> such a fascinating conversation because I think you have this... You just are a great example of how these principles of finding an audience and focusing on them and and pushing through the fear as to whether it's going to be a big enough audience. Um, So thank you for for talking to me. How can people find out more about you online? Uh, The easiest way is going to modernsoapmaking.com. It's, you know, uh, your website could be your hub for everything that you do. And that's definitely what modernsoapmaking.com is. Great, great. Well, thanks again. Thank you so much for having me, Philip. 
that's it for this episode of the Consulting Pipeline podcast. Thanks again to my guest, Kenna Cote. You can find out more about Kenna online at modernsoapmaking.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast at consultingpipelinepodcast.com. I'm Philip Morgan, and I hope to see you again next time.